Well, open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Now, that song takes me way back. Reminds me of my retro sermon today. Uh, that's one of those old, old, good old songs. But we're going to be talking today about the rest of the story. If you'll remember last week, we started talking about the man at the gate. And he was sitting at the gate, had been begging alms because he was lame, couldn't work, didn't have any way of support whatsoever, and that's all he did, basically, was beg. And if you'll remember, Peter and John approached him and uh, got his attention said, you know, look at us. Um, and, and they said... We don't have any silver and we don't have any gold, but what we do have, we give to you. And they told him to rise up and walk. Now that, what began with that man by the gate that day ended up with a, an extreme commotion of people who were interested in what had just happened. They thought that Peter and John might be some kind of gods who uh, were able to to heal this man, and quickly they uh, dispelled that idea and shared the truth of them with them of why this man now was able to walk and by whose authority and whose power that had happened. But we ended last week with Peter preaching the Word of God as he was there on the, the steps of Solomon's porch, and the, the vision I see is hundreds of people surrounding him, maybe even thousands of people whose attention had now been gotten, who understood what was going on. They saw what was happening, and they heard the gospel of Christ as Peter shared the gospel. But chapter 4 is a continuation of the thought, and so naturally it's the rest of the story. And I want to share with you as we think about retro church, understanding lessons from the original church, uh, some things from chapter 4 to encourage us as a church as we continue to learn more and more about what the Lord has for us as a church. Because it's really futile if we're unwilling to apply what we learn from the early church. If we just learn some good lessons from the early church and we leave them and we don't apply them to our situation personally, then I think we're just uh, going through a lot of dialogue for no reason. So what we're doing is we're looking in these first seven chapters of Acts in this study to see what was really important and what was very effective for the early church and what we can do to impact our community in a greater way. And that's what we have been doing throughout this series and will continue to do. And I pray that the Lord will speak to your heart and speak to my heart and each one of us will see really the focus and the emphasis that was placed on the early church and how God used them to impact the world that they were in, in that day. So we're going to really pick up there in chapter 4. Let's read the first three verses or four verses, which say, Now they spoke to the people, the priests, 
the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So we, we learned some things even from these few verses that we have read, but keep your Bible open there because we're going to be looking at this entire chapter as we go along. You have some notes there in your worship program if you want to fill in a few blanks and take some extra notes as we go along. But first of all, let's notice that they were extremely effective. And what I want to do is skip to verse 4 before we really look at verses 1 through 3. To understand how effective the church was and really how effective we are. That's something that we must evaluate. Something that we must consider. Something that we have got to keep in mind is, you know, are we being effective? It's what we are doing making a difference. Is it really impacting the world or are we just going through certain motions? Are we just trying to look like a church or be churchy? you know, for people who come in so they'll know, hey, that was a church service and we're gone. Are we really concentrating on being effective? And what we find is that these men, the the early church, that they were very effective in what they were doing. In verse 4 it says, however many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And when you look at this and realize that not long before that, the Bible said there were 3,000 that had responded to the gospel, and now we see 5,000 men. And that is significant because the number of the women and children were not even given here. And so there were thousands of people who responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's exactly what they were doing. They preached the gospel. Peter had done that in the previous chapter and will continue to do that because we know, according to the Bible, the book of Romans, that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which means to every people group. The only hope of people in the world today is the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we approach the world with anything other than the gospel, then we will notice that we are not effective. And we can do a lot of social programs, and we can do a lot of things to help a lot of people, but if we forget the one thing that carries with it the authority and the power of God, then we are totally ineffective for the cause of Christ. The reason they were so effective is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the boldness of Peter and John to share the gospel with people, many of them, if not most of them, had never heard the gospel before. And we see many of them responding. And that's one of the things that we need to remember as we think about the lessons that are important for us as a church. And that is that we always put the emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ and taking the gospel to the world, letting the the people know what Jesus Christ has done for them. 
we, we might approach them with a lot of different things, and we see that happening a lot in churches and in religious organizations today. But let's never forget that our real focus is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is only the gospel that will change lives. That is the only thing that will make a difference in your life today if you are without Jesus Christ. The gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus according to the scriptures. To understand that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. To realize he suffered and died for you. He made the ultimate sacrifice hanging on the cross. He literally died and was buried. And he was in the the grave for three days. But victoriously, he rose again after three days and three nights. And he is alive today. And that is who they are testifying of. And that is who they keep sharing over and over and over again. And we'll see that even more in chapter 4. So they were very effective. Extremely effective, and if we are going to be effective, we must put the right emphasis on the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing that with people who have never heard. The next thing that I want us to notice from this story is that they didn't quit just because they faced opposition. I think our tendency is, you know, if we we bump a stump, that we just want to sit down and give up. But we can't quit. They were not quitters. And yes, they faced obstacles. They faced obstacles that we are uh, unfamiliar with in America. We live in a wonderful nation that has, to this point, been free to exercise our religious beliefs, to follow Christ and to serve Him. We don't know how much longer we will have that freedom, but today we have that freedom. And so we have not faced a lot of the problems that they faced here in this passage. And yet they faced some very severe problems. As a matter of fact, when all of this was going on, the people, the higher up people, didn't really appreciate what they were seeing. When you read verses 1 through 3, you will see that the priests, the captain of the temple, and they were right there by the temple, you know, when all this was happening, and the Sadducees came upon them. They were greatly disturbed, the Bible says. So they were not happy. I mean, they were listening to Peter and John, and all these people were hearing, and many of these people were repenting of their sin and committing their lives to Jesus Christ, and these religious leaders did not like it. That's because the religious world does not always agree with the Bible. Have you noticed that? I mean, there are a lot of religions in our culture and in our world today that absolutely despise the Word of God. Some of them take part of the Word of God. Others of them totally ignore the Word of God. And we find, as this was going on, that these religious leaders did not like the idea that Jesus was being preached. They had already dealt with Him. They had already uh, witnessed what He had done. 
and the lives he had. They did not want anything to do with anyone who was preaching in his name. So they were disturbed. We see Peter and John arrested in verses 1 through 3, which reminds us that doing the right thing is not always the easy thing. Taking the stand that you ought to take is not always easy, and a lot of times will have negative repercussions. If you think about that, when I say that, not from God... God always wants us to do right, and God always honors what is right, and God always blesses what is right. But that doesn't mean that everyone around you will agree with you when you make the right judgment, make the right call, or do the right thing. Sometimes you're going to find yourself standing alone. Peter and John, as they were standing there preaching and sharing the word and all these people were responding to them, had some very negative things happen to them. They were cuffed and thrown into jail, basically, simply for preaching the gospel, which we consider to be the right thing. So we find them arrested. But the next day at the hearing, when they were standing before all of these magistrates, we find out that something, again, very unique happened. Peter began to preach the gospel because they asked him a question. They, they simply asked a question, you know, by whose authority are you accomplishing this? Or was this man healed? And they're still looking at the same guy who was by the gate. And they're still knowing that his life had been changed. We learn in chapter 4 that the guy was already 40 years old and he had been that way all of his life and now all of a sudden he's up walking around and hanging on to Peter and John out of gratitude and they know it has happened so they just want to know whose authority, by whose authority has this happened. Peter said in verse 10, Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. So what did he do? He took the opportunity, didn't he? He took the opportunity once again to share the gospel with these people who were hardened to the gospel, obviously, who were not interested in the gospel, who did not believe in Jesus, like many people we will come in contact with today, but still they shared the gospel. So a lot of times we're going to find people who are not at all interested in what we have to say. Obviously there were 5,000 men who were very interested, but there are going to be those who are not interested. And here's our response. We don't quit just because we face opposition. We don't stop just because someone slammed a door in our face or sicked their dog on us. We don't quit just because someone says something hateful or questionable to us. We keep on. We do what we are called to do. As a church in this community, in this neighborhood... We have a tremendous responsibility. And God is opening our eyes to the doors that He wants to be opened 
But the thing that we need to realize is not everybody is happy about that. Not everyone will be happy about that. But we as a church must continue. And we must not stop sharing the gospel even if we landed in prison like they did. We also see that that these magistrates forbade them to preach the gospel. They went a step further. They said, you can't preach anymore. You know, we are laying the law down. You're done. You're through preaching. No longer do we want to hear the name of Jesus declared in Jerusalem. Verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. They couldn't speak at all in the name of Jesus. That was the command that was given. But I want to refer you to a higher command that was given to them. You know, these guys thought they were up there and that they were very important people. But there was somebody more important than them that had already given them a command. Jesus himself had already commanded them to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And they knew that and they understood that. But these people took it upon themselves to say, you can no longer preach. So what do I say if the world tells us you can no longer preach the gospel? If the world says, you know, you've got to stop, If our government or even in our city, if they say, no, no more preaching in the name of Jesus, no more praying in the name of Jesus, what is our response to that? We understand that we have a higher order, that is God, who has told us what to do. Now, how did they respond? They did not give in to their demands, and we know that, and we understand that. In verse 19, But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen or heard. We ought to obey God, not men. That's the point. You know... You can decide among yourselves whether you think that we ought to listen to you more than listen to God. Y'all debate that, discuss that, you know, but here's what we're going to do. We are going to continue to testify of the things that we have seen with our eyes and heard with our ears. We're not going to quit. And that was a bold statement, and I'm sure that those guys would have loved to have uh, put Peter and John under the jail. And kept them from then on. But there were a lot of eyes watching. As a matter of fact, there were 5,000 men who were watching. Who had just committed their lives to following Jesus Christ. They were looking on. As well as the 3,000, you know. And and the others who were there. And more and more people who were committing their lives to Christ. And the number was growing. And all of these people had their eyes on what was happening, and these guys cowed down. They said, we can't keep them in jail. We can't really do anything because of the people. You know, the people, that's where the power is. In our nation, that is why we have had such a wonderful and successful nation. It's because it began being the government by the people and for the people. 
And the people spoke. And the people said, this is what is right. And they stood up for their, for their beliefs. And that has brought us uh, to be the greatest nation on the face of the earth. But government has now taken that over. You know, and the people's voices are becoming quieter and quieter and quieter. But that changed the way these guys were doing things because they knew the people were around them. So what did they do? Verse 21, 22, the Bible says they threatened them and let them go. And that threat, you know, don't do this again. You know, if you do this again, you're going to be in big trouble. That's all, they, that's all they could do. And they let the guys go. Now, what did they do when they let them go? Well, you know what they did. They did what they had been doing. They continued to share the gospel of Christ. All of this helps us to understand the emphasis that we must place on sharing the gospel with people in the world, even if there is opposition, even if people are not interested in hearing it, and many people will not be interested, but there will be those who are yearning to hear the truth of the Word of God, and we owe it to them to share the gospel with them. So what did they do from that point? Well, we we find that they prayed for boldness. They met with their people. And they prayed for boldness. Verse 23, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported that the chief priests and elders, or what the chief priests and elders said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said. So what do we see? They, they went to their comrades. They went to their people. They went back into the congregation or, or maybe their small group, their Sunday school, whatever. It was their, their close people within the body. They went to them and they raised their voices to God praying not for themselves. You know, a lot of times when we, when we pray, we're asking God for something to benefit us or even to benefit someone else close to us from a material standpoint or physical standpoint. That was not why they went before God and prayed. What we see here is that they went before God and prayed in verse 29, Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That Jesus himself would be demonstrated before the people. That his works would be seen. That his gospel would be heard. And all we're asking for, Lord, is for boldness. The ability, the strength, the motivation to stand even in an uncomfortable place and share the message of the gospel. I think, you know, that is a, an awesome prayer. And for us as a church, there is a key right there. You know, when we pray, 
And I know we believe in the power of prayer and we want to pray for all of the needs of our people and the requests that people bring before us and, and not uh, negating that or putting that down at all. But one of the things we rarely pray for is God, help me to be bold in sharing your gospel with people. How many times have you actually prayed that prayer? You've prayed a lot of prayers, but a lot of times we don't even think about that. As a matter of fact, we might think, you know, Lord, save them in spite of my cowardice. Or, or send somebody to them. That, that would be our prayer. God, send somebody to them that is bold enough to share the gospel with them. But God would have us to pray to him, make me bold. Help me to see my responsibility in sharing the gospel with the people I come in contact with. Because God is going to open that door for you. As you are willing to share the message, he is going to open the door, and then he's going to open another door, just like he did here, and another door. What we need is the strength and the power of God to step into those doors and to share the message that God has given to us and to have the focus of doing that regardless of how they react to us when we do that. And that's what they were praying for. And God affirmed their mission. Because they were more interested in getting the gospel out than anything else as a church. And they prayed to God and they asked God for something and God demonstrated himself by answering their prayer. And in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God made himself known to them. And I wouldn't think that God would shake the building when we prayed to him. That's not the point at all. As a matter of fact, God has given us so much in this word to affirm that what we're doing is right. We don't need a sign from heaven. God has given us an entire book to demonstrate to us that what we are doing is according to Him and according to His word. And so we, we don't need to be shaken. But I think if we were... Uh, we would be shaken for sure. But they were shaken. And the Spirit of God demonstrated Himself to them in a very real way that day. And they began with even a greater passion because they spoke the Word with boldness. The last part of verse 31, and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. You see, God answered their prayer. He showed them that he was with them, and he tells us that he is with us. Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. But he showed them, they didn't have the book, so he showed them that he was with them. And then when they stepped out to do the work of God, they had boldness. He answered their prayer. It's difficult for many of us to start out that conversation about Christ, and yet I know that God opens so many doors for us where it is just 
laid out in front of us to share our faith. And how many times have we walked away from that with regret? A lesson we can learn from them is to pray to God for boldness. That we will not be afraid to do the one thing that will impact our community, our relatives, our friends, our world. And that is share the gospel with them. Face to face, one on one, me and you. And God wants that. He's going to give boldness. And the last thing I want to share from this chapter that shows the impact of the church with one another is that they loved and cared for each other. They just loved and cared for each other. You know, we're kind of back in the, the church setting now. We've been out there. Now we're back together, and it's important that we see their love for one another and their care for one another and why that was happening. In verse 32, now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Now, we're talking about the multitude of those who believe. We're not talking about the original group. We're talking about the original group plus the 3,000 and the women and the children plus the 5,000 and the women and the children. We're talking about thousands of people. Something brought them together. They were of one heart and one soul. They were knit together by something. And, you know, they, they weren't brought together because they were having a big dinner on the ground. That wasn't it. They weren't brought together because, you know, they enjoyed the singing. They loved the singer. That wasn't it. It wasn't because they had, had a celebrity come and fill this place to... Uh, get everybody revved up or some motivational speaker had nothing to do with any of that. It, it wasn't even because the preacher was so good that he was going to, to preach a dynamite sermon today so we're all going to come together. None of that is what brought them together. They were brought together because of their love for Jesus Christ. Their lives have been changed. Their hearts have been changed. And it was fresh on their heart and their mind. They knew they still could remember what they were yesterday and what motivated them and drove them yesterday. And now they could see that, that in Christ they are a, a new creation. They loved one another. They cared for one another. And they loved God supremely because He had blessed them with a new life. He had forgiven them of their sins and he had wrapped himself around them and given them his spirit and his comfort. And the result of all of that was that they were willing to sacrifice for each other. We see a super strong bond in that early church that is growing like wildfire. They were sold out to each other. As a matter of fact, the next verses talks about how many of them 
sold their possessions, things that they had, and they gave the money to the church so that the church could take care of the needs of those who had nothing. Now, this was something they did willingly. The apostles didn't say, okay, everybody go sell all your land, all your houses, and we're going to pool this money together, you know, and become a uh, socialism here. Wasn't that at all. What it reflects is the kind of heart the people had. It wasn't mandatory. It was that people loved Jesus so much and they loved their fellow man so much that they were willing to give up creature comforts to help others in their congregation. So they weren't held together. They weren't even held together by doctrine. They didn't really know doctrine. I mean, hey, they'd been saved one day. They knew something wonderful had happened to them, and they were, they were learning from the apostles' doctrine. But that wasn't holding them together. It was Jesus Christ. You know, we have a, we're all different. You can tell. Just look around. And we have different backgrounds and different ideas and different thoughts. But the one thing that we have in common is Jesus Christ. He is the banner that is hanging over us, flying over us. He is the one who died for all of us. And through him we have been forgiven of our sins. And he is the one who deserves our passion and our focus. And when our focus is on him... A lot of these other differences, they just fade away because our fellowship is based not on the things we have in common in the world, but the thing we have in common, Jesus Christ. And that's where they were. If we will ever be a powerhouse, a lighthouse in our community, lighting up homes throughout these neighborhoods. If that will ever happen, it will be because we as a church, we, we see one thing together, and that is Jesus. And we have such a honed-in focus. We are looking at him, pressing towards the mark for the prize to share the gospel with people. And I have to say, I have failed miserably in this area. But when I look at these disciples and I see what kind of a ruckus they raised, it makes me want to go raise a ruckus, you know. Tell people about the Lord and see what God does. And if we don't do that, then we are, we're just playing around at church. And we've got to get to the point where we see that this is our priority. And God wants us all to sell out to him. You know, it even talks about Barnabas, how he went and sold everything he had and he laid it at the apostles' feet and he, he's now just serving, just to serve. God wants us to sell out. He literally wants us to make him the most important thing in our lives. 
And that's what his call is for us today. Wherever you are in your spiritual walk, that's what he's calling for you to do. To give it all up and let Jesus be your reason to exist. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us. We admit our need of you and we admit how we fail to be all that you want us to be. And as we come before you now, we ask you to please reinvent our thinking and what we thought we were to be what you taught us to be. So as we look in this, this book, cause all of these things to stand up and shout in our ear so that we might willingly yield to follow your will, do what you call us to do. So we, we, we're giving it up and we surrender to you today and we pray you'll take us and use us for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.